What is up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastically well today. This is Raphael Garcia here with Schwan Humes for episode 195. 195 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. I'm here with Schwan as always. Hey, my man, how you doing over there, sir? Uh, not too bad. You know, just enjoying the weather for the most part. Luckily, we have power and some people don't, so I can't complain. How bad is it over there, man? Like, how, are you getting any snow at all or no? Oh, no, it's all right. It's snow, though. The parking lot is completely covered. All the apartments and buildings and roads are completely covered. I mean, it's for people who live in, like, in the East Coast, it's probably more, like, what's normal for them. But, but out here, it's just excessive. So a lot of, lot of stuff is just basically shut down. People not going to work and just losing power left and right. Man, that fucking sucks, dude. Um, but you and the family are safe? Yep, everybody here is good. Good stuff. I know I may not be safe, though, man. Um, I don't know if you saw me tweet about it this week. Did you see that my mom listens to the show? Excuse me, what? Yeah, so I was talking to my mother on Sunday. I give my parents a call every Sunday like a good son. And she drops a bomb on me that she's been listening to the podcast for an extended period of time. (laughs) I had no idea. So now I have to think about some of the ratchet shit we probably said on this show. (laughs) <laughs> over the the last nearly 200 episodes we've been doing this and I had to think what has my mom heard and what has she not so that'll be pretty interesting next time I go home I'm at the bottom yeah. weave though you got to give me some um head movement uh tips or something like that because she still has a she has a mean right hook still to this day she turns yeah, 60 think, this year and she could still pop me one good time I, I think my mom listened to like one or two episodes you know and then she just kind of figured she'd leave, leave it to me so luckily I can talk as reckless as I want but out of respect for your mother, I will try to tone it down. Oh, don't even, don't even, no, see, we don't need to do all that. She'll be all right. She'll be all right. I'll, now. I'll be like, you know, Raphael, you empowered me to make these statements. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, funny story. My mom has no problem beating my, my beating my kids or my, my friends as well. She's almost Uh-oh. done that growing up. There's, yeah, that- there's a, there's a story in there about her one time having to come pick up me and my two best friends from the, the, the police station. I'll, I'll 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 tell it one day, but I'll just put it down and say that I'm surprised all three of us are still alive to this day. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh yeah, well those are the best moms, the ones who who call it out across the board. Because sometimes kids just think it's their parent, and it's like no, no parent would be okay with this. <laughs> so pro- anybody prop- can get it. Props to your mom. It's the way it's supposed to be done. So someone else you gotta throw out some congratulations to is Kamar Usman, who picked up a big win. On Saturday at UFC 258, stopping Gilbert Burns in the second round, I believe it was. I don't have it pulled up right now. But I want to say it was Gilbert. third. Yeah, it was either second or third, but he definitely um, stopped Mr. Burns and kept his UFC welterweight title. So let's start with the fight itself, there, man. Um, Usman had some. He had a tough go at the very start, where he got clipped, got knocked to all fours, and he bounced right back up and recovered. What was it about the shot that hit him? And then I want to talk specifically about his recovery for on from the angle of both men. But what was it about the shot that hit him that you think rocked him so much? Uh, honestly, I think it was just the aggression Burns came out with. Because of Usman's wrestling and his physicality and his strength, people tend to try to work their way into range and, and set up shots so he can't get their hands on them, he can't get a takedown, or he can't land on them th- himself. Burns just came out you know, on fire and took took the first opportunity that was presented to him. And I don't think Usman was expecting that. Usman, I, I think, is a better striker overall, 
but he's kind of a guy who has to, and some people say he has to find what, what he needs to do for success. I consider him one of those guys who has to kind of pay a price or be punished a little bit, and then he'll start making his adjustments, and then he'll start finding his rhythm. Until that happens, I think he he's a, he, he's a bit vulnerable. So I think he came out thinking he's going to assert himself and have some time to work his way into his spots and work his way into position, and Burns just jumped on him and and caught him clean. Do you think that that's a mistake he would make against another a, a fighter who is a well versed or kind of well known striker, <laughs> i.e., a Leon Edwards, Jorge Masvidal, like a, a Stephen Thompson type? Well, I mean, with Masvidal, I mean, he's already shown he can handle that. And the, the main thing is you have to, A, hit hard enough to really get his intention or do harm, and B, you have to be a good enough, I guess you would say a good enough wrestler or a big enough threat on the ground that he can't risk, that you can risk opening up. Because if you overcommit or you swing and miss, then you set yourself up for a double leg, slam, he's on top of you, bombing away. And most guys don't present the threat that Gilbert Burns does on the ground. And a lot of and, and a lot of guys, for the most part, Jorge Masvidal isn't a big hitter on the feet. Kobe Covington, for as much volume as he throws, he's not a big hitter because if he had elite power, when you're throwing this many punches around, you don't knock a guy out. You, you have a chalk outline drawn around them because they're dead. So there's not a lot of guys in the division who hit hard enough where they can really make him pay for it. They might rock him. They might stun him. They might knock him off balance. But they're not the kind of people who can just hit him with one shot. He's he's finished or hit him on one shot and he's to the point where he can't defend himself. I, I don't know a guy at welterweight who packs that kind of power, Leon Edwards included. He he had trouble knocking out. He had trouble really finishing Donald Cerrone to a degree. So he's not the kind of guy who just who can just physically march through you and knock you out with one shot or two. Usman has a good enough chin where he can nav- navigate rough spots and he's such a threat as a wrestler. But if you rock him, he can get it. He can tie you up, get you up against the cage. He can take you down. And then get, gather his wits and then start chopping away at you. I saw something, or maybe heard something pretty interesting that caught my eye, and I had not heard um, from anyone else. But what were your thoughts about Gilbert Burns' strategy immediately after he rocked Usman, staying on his back and playing the leg kicking game, expecting or hoping that Usman would? play in his guard after he rocked him. Do you think he regrets that or he should have stayed on top of him, maybe pounced on him and tried to finish? Or was there something else in there that you, you think he was trying to do? Uh, I personally think, you know, thinking that Usman was going to engage him on the ground, especially when he's already, he's already on the ground laying on his back, I didn't think that was – that's an insult to Usman. It's like he – there's no way he'd be dumb enough to do that. Now, I thought if Usman got a trip takedown or a double leg or something of that nature, you can control the takedown. And you you can get to, you can get to or try to get to the position you want to, which presents a problem for your opponent. But when he's just laying on his back, sitting there, we already saw a fight earlier that that night when uh, Mallory Martin kind of tipped over Pollyanna Vienna and she jumps right in her guard. And what happened to her? So there's no way Usman was going to be dumb enough to just jump right into his guard and set himself up to be submitted, or at the worst case scenario just controlled and exhausted trying to improve position or trying to escape from position. I I have no idea why he thought that was going to be a a good route to take. As far as the energy level, um, ultimately what would ruin Burns is his, he wasn't able to manage his energy. He had a big, to me, he had a big adrenaline dump from rocking Usman earlier and trying to close it out and and trying to land big shots, thinking he was hurt and he could finish. 
and he fought at a pace that he couldn't maintain and he couldn't increase. I think if he could have maintained the pace or built on it, he could have stopped Usman because Usman was still kind of shaky. But the fact of the matter is he couldn't do either. And then he started getting tired. And I think him just sitting on his back was a way of thinking, maybe I can conserve some energy. I can't maintain this pace. And if I can get him on the ground or I can goad him into making a dumb mistake, then I can win this fight and I can expend energy in, a, in an area that I'm better at managing my energy. Like on the feet, he can't manage his energy at all. He's not built like that. But on the ground, whether it's back and forth or it's an uphill battle, because he's naturally a grappler, he spent most of his life grappling, he could handle whatever energy he would spend down there a lot, a lot better than he would on the feet. So what do you think would have happened had Burns stayed on his feet and tried to finish Usman after he dropped him the first time? Do you think we'd be talking about a new champion right now? Or would the situation that went from bad to worse for uh, Burns? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, I just don't know that he would have finished him. I don't. The biggest concern I had for Burns in this whole fight is Burns is always in this win streak he's been in. Essentially, he's been the better athlete, had the better gas tank, and probably been the more physical fighter. So he's been able to take liberties against Damian Maya, take liberties against Tyron Woodley, just all the guys he's been. He, he's been able to take a certain amount of liberties because he had those he had physical advantages over them. Against someone like um, Usman, he doesn't have those advantages. While he hits hard and he's strong and he's powerful, Usman's a guy who's been known for taking shots, taking lots of shots, fighting at a high pace, and being able to absorb a certain amount of punishment and engage at a certain amount of intensity. So I don't know that even if he would have just kept teeing off and swinging and trying to impose his will on him, I don't know that that worked in his favor any any better than what he did. Um, I still believe that a lot of the reason Usman knocked him out wasn't so much because of Usman's power, was because Burns basically burned his arms and his legs out trying to finish. You know, in, in that second round, he tried to turn it on. He tried to – Usman was still a little shaky. Usman was still a little gun-shy, and he was he was trying to rack up damage, and he was unable to, he was unable to hit the right shot to finish. And he ultimately gassed himself out. So then when Usman started hitting him with the jab and following up, his legs were gone. I don't know that he was just outright hurt by the power. I don't think he had anything left in his legs or his arms. So every time he got dropped or every time he got hit, he was stumbling around and unable to recover. Okay, I think that's pretty interesting there. Uh, we still, but regardless of what we may have thought have occurred, we still see that Burns lost. Usman is still the champion. And the conversation has really turned to what's next for both men. And I think it's very interesting to hear people talk about Usman and what his legacy is because it, the name George St. Pierre has come up quite a bit. I, for one, do not think Usman's current run is anywhere near what GSP did. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. Obviously, because GSP defended the title nine times. I think he had 12 uh, title fights. He um, had a, he also, well, you know, he had 11 title fights, 12 fight win streak when he, um, and, you know, he won a title in two oh. divisions. I do you think that Usman can get to that point that he can put together a comparable run compared to the GSP Schwan? That's the first answer I want to ask ask you. Do you think he, in three four years we're looking at a situation where he has a comparable run to George St. Pierre or why why not? I mean, you could to a degree you could say that because so far he hasn't really lost. 
the b- biggest d- difference I see between him and George St. Pierre is George St. Pierre, when he when, when he won his fights, for the most part, he was in control from start to finish. Again, at the peak of his powers, when he fought, you know, BJ Penn for it, he pretty much dominated him. When he fought John Fitch, he pretty much dominated, outclassed him on the feet, outclassed him in wrestling exchanges, outclassed him in grappling exchanges. Same thing with BJ Penn. When he fought, um, just like any the large majority of people he fought, whether it's Dan Hardy or whoever else he fought, he he essentially dominated them. He outclassed them. There wasn't any real back and forth. There wasn't really any spots where you found him to be in trouble. In fact, if somebody landed a shot or two or or stunned him or defended a takedown, we went nuts because we were so used to George St. Pierre having clear 50-45 wins over guys where he was just dominating every round. I mean, he, he dominated Josh Koscheck. He dominated Dan Hardy. He dominated uh, John Fitch. You know, it's like you just see the fights and you go through them and it's just domination, 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 domination. There weren't any real points of contention. And in two of his last two of his last fights, Usman has been pushed fairly hard. He stopped Colby Covington, but at a certain point, it looked like Colby Covington was going to take over that fight against Gilbert Burns. He stopped Burns and he looked dominant in doing it. But early on, for the first round and a half, Burns was. Burns was on him, and he looked a little shaky. A lot of people people didn't think he was going to make it through the round. Um, I I think he can I think he can match the numbers, but a lot of the guys he's fought aren't as accomplished. And I know a lot of days we'll say that the people he's fought are could beat the guys that George St. Pierre fought, but you can't control the area you fight it. All you can control is who you fought and how you performed against them. George St. Pierre is beating more accomplished guys. Matt Hughes was a how many time welterweight champion. Um, Why? Go ahead. I think Matt Hughes was a two-time champion. Yeah. Okay. Two-time champion. Um, BJ Penn had won a had won a lightweight championship and had won a welterweight championship. John Fitch had been top three. He not just was top three before he fought before he fought GSP. He was still a top three welterweight for years after he fought GSP. You know, it's like the guys he was fighting were were much more accomplished and had taken tougher roads to get to the top. Gilbert Burns, his ascension to the welterweight title, title shot, I don't know that he was beating any really high-class guys. Um, Colby Covington, for as good as he's been, um, he wasn't beating a whole lot of tough guys on his way up His way up either, to be honest. I mean, he beat Robbie Lawler, but Robbie Lawler wasn't the same Robbie Lawler he used to be. He beat RDA, but RDA was struggling at welterweight. He beat Damian Maya, but at this point, it's who hasn't beat Damian Maya at welterweight. So he beat some good, not great game, great, great fighters. When GSP was beating these guys, these were guys who would have been champion if GSP wasn't in the way. And I can't say the same for the guys that Usman has beat on his way up. I mean, except for Leon Edwards, I don't know that anybody else I could guarantee I could say would be a potentially dominant champion. When when St. Pierre was beating these guys, these guys were cleaning out the division. They were beating everybody else, so they had to get St. Pierre. A lot of the guys that Usman's been beating, in my opinion, are guys who we're in the right place at the right moment. The only person I, I think who really deserves a title fight as far as his record and his performance will probably be Leon Edwards, and I don't even like him that much. But, you know, Burns, I don't know that he really deserved one. Kobe Covington, I mean, I guess, but who was he beating that was so elite that said that he was going to be a dominant-type champion? You know what I'm saying? I, I just think the accomplishment level of the, of the opponents is what separates them. You see Carlos Condit, interim champ, champion WEC, Johnny Hendricks, a guy that George St. Pierre beat, later on became a welterweight champ and had basically cleaned out the division. You know, it's like things like that. Little details are what separate 
separate their levels of greatness. I still think what Usman is doing is great, but I don't think he's doing it against the same caliber of opposition as far as what they've accomplished and how dominant they've been in the uh, division. Who's next for Kamar Usman? Uh, you mentioned Leon Edwards as probably the name that stood out most to you. Does a potential rematch with Jorge Masvidal interest you at all, or what direction would you go in? Well, if I'm Usman, um, you want Masvidal, at least I think you do, if he still has the hype and he still has the fans behind him, because that's a payday. That's a fight that gets you money. Um, there's no other fight that generates that kind of money for him. Leon Edwards has to get a win. He hasn't fought in, what, a year now? He has to get a win over somebody with some kind of ranking for him to ju- justify getting a title shot. It's not that I don't think he, could, he couldn't do it or, or he's not worthy. He just hasn't fought in a while, and it, it'd be kind of ridiculous to just hand him a title shot right off the bat. He'd probably have to beat a Gilbert Burns or a Colby Covington or somebody. But as far as earning potential, it'd have to be maybe Jorge or Colby if they're you know, those would be the two fights that would generate the most interest and possibly a, a decent payday. As far as who's who's who deserves it, I, I guess Leon Edwards, but he'd probably still have to win one more fight. I don't know who else is out there who you could just put in against Usman in the next three to six months right now. I think Wonderboy's hurt. Obviously just be Burns. Uh I think Covington's got a fight. I, I guess Jorge Masvidal, unless, you know, they set something else up for him, but as far as money, it'd be Masvidal or Colby Covington. As far as who legitimately is up next, I'd probably say Edwards would probably be the best bet, but he's probably going to have to fight at least one more fight before he gets that title shot. True, true. Let's move on. One thing, one thing. I, I just wanted to mention, um, a lot of people are criticizing Burns. I, I, too, think he really sold out when he got when he hit the worst thing that could have happened was him rocking Usman earlier because I think he had a game plan and that game plan went out the window once he rocked him and so essentially he 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 went he fought too hard for that knockout he pushed a little bit too hard and I think from the end of the first round or late in the first round till the time he was stopped I think he was gassed and once he was gassed and and Usman figured out what he was trying to do Usman just established his jab and essentially walked him down I don't think Burns was the kind of guy who could fight at a high pace and have a back-and-forth fight or have a fight where he doesn't get to have his way because all the fights, wins he's had, he's essentially had his way. If you look at the fights, he's dominated position. He's dominated submission attempts. He's dominated striking. And my concern for him against Usman was what's going to happen when he can't bully somebody? What's going to happen when he has pressure on him? What's going to happen when it requires a certain amount of work rate to get to your spots or to, to break the pressure and he can't maintain it? And that was my concern. I didn't think he had the physicality or the cardio to get to the spots he needed to or keep Usman from the spots he needed to get to to win. And ultimately, that, that, was, that was what determined the fight. He couldn't control the pace. He couldn't speed it up. He couldn't slow it down. And he didn't have any ability to, ability to control where the fight took place. Once that was taken off the board, essentially, Usman just walked him down. You can say it was because of the jab. You can say it's because he made a technical adjustment. But it ultimately came down to the fact that Burns could not dictate where the fight took place, and he could not t- dictate the pace of the fight. And without, without those two advantages, he really had nothing for Usman. All right. Okay. Good stuff there, sir. I always appreciate your analysis. Let's move on to the co-main event where Alexa Gar- Grasso got an important win over Macy Barber, winning two. Uh, I think I think she got all three rounds on most of the cards. I think there was 129-28 in there, but Grasso, she looked very, very good in this fight. 
And a lot of people are talking about her as if she's turned a corner. Chuan, what do you think about that? Has Grasso become the person that we thought she would be? Or is this more of a knock against Macy Barber? Oh, it's really a knock against Macy Barber. I think Macy Barber is a talented fighter. Like physically, she's durable. She has great heart. She seems she seems to want to be great. She has physical strength. She hits pretty hard. But to me, she doesn't have an identity as a fighter. And she has a huge technical hole in her ability to box. Like she's good at clinches. She's decent at long range. But in that in-between spot where you have to get through to get to those clinches or to set up your takedowns, she she's essentially a heavy bag with her arms. She couldn't get a step in before. She was getting popped with a jab by Grasso, getting hit with a one-two, and she tried to step in the clinch, and Grasso would spin out, or Grasso would exit out on the angle, or Grasso would just back her off with a short combination because Macy Barber not only can't put her punches together in mid-range, she can't block or slip punches or counter punches effectively at mid-range. So there's been this huge egregious hole she's had in her, fi- her style probably since she began, definitely since she's been the UFC, and it's been exploited multiple, 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 multiple times, and they have yet to address this hole, which is shocking to me because if I can see it for somebody who's never seen her live and I don't know her at all, I don't see how her corner doesn't see it, I don't see her camp doesn't see it, and I don't know why they have not addressed that. Um, it made Grasso look better than she is because Grasso is the type of fighter she fights in spots. She fights off momentum. If you jump on her early and kind of give her some resistance, she'll slow down. She'll start, she'll start panicking. She'll start kind of capitulating to pressure. Happened with Felice Herrig, happened with um, Esparza. Even in her debut at the weight class, she was having some issues because her opponent wouldn't go away and her opponent kept pressuring her. But Barbara was giving her pressure, but she wasn't doing anything with it. She was swinging wild punches, left and right missing. She was reaching for clinches. She was running in a straight line. She was trying to like Hulk smash her instead of set up any sort of technical approach or strategic approach to find success against Grasso. To be honest, all Macy Barber had to do was throw head and body combinations and kick the legs, and this fight would have been way easier. But a professional fighter didn't figure that out. And what what I could tell of her camp in her corner, nobody seemed to tell her that. Like, you can't hit her to the head, punch her in the chest, kick her in the legs, punch her to the body, kick her in the body. She didn't, she never really consistently did that. She just kept walking forward and walking into shots and then chasing her. It, it was, it was, an, it was, it was a very embarrassing loss to me. It was really embarrassing. It's kind of indictment on her and on her camp because she didn't make any adjustments. The only adjustment she made was in the third round was I'm going to, I'm going to go ham. And that's not an adjustment at all. So what was it about Macy Barber that made her look like, I'm going to use the term mediocre, make her look so mediocre in this fight after she has so much hype behind her? Because she, it, from the very beginning, it just looked like she wasn't technical enough to get the job done. And even in the third round, where she started putting pressure on uh, uh, um, Alexa Grasso, it was more like overwhelming pressure that was getting to Grasso and not necessarily technical setups that uh, with volume that was getting the uh, job done. What is it about her that she hasn't quite rounded the corner? Is it that she's still so young that we have to take that into account or is there something else you see there? Uh, well, mediocre is being nice. Um, part of it is because she's coming off an injury and I, I, I can make a little bit of an excuse because when you're coming off an injury, you're trying to get your conditioning Try to make sure your flexibility is there. Make sure you're totally 100% physically. So I expected her to be in shape, be flexible, be loose, be ready to fight. But when you're coming off an injury like that, you don't necessarily have a lot of time to focus 
on holes in your game. At least I don't think you do. And um, she had a lot of hype because of her physical talent. She's strong. She's powerful. She's punishing. She talks a lot. She she seems to have a kind of a, a charisma to her that uh, that draws people in or annoys people. Either way, it's going to help you um, sell, help you become a bigger star because if people love you, it's great. They'll tune in to see you win. People hate you. They'll tune in to see you get your ass whipped. So it's, it's perfect. But the problem is she's not a very well-developed fighter. She uses kind of a karate stance, but she doesn't use side kicks. She doesn't kick the body. She didn't use the front kick to the body. A front kick to the body would have been huge for her. She essentially could have shut down Alexa Grasso's whole game with leg kicks and a front kick to the body that, that never came. Um, and secondly, as I've said, and I've said this before, she's terrible at the boxing range. She doesn't set her shot. She doesn't set her shots up. She throws one at a time, but they're not set up. It's not like she faints and throws. So that's one thing. She doesn't set him up very well. She doesn't jab and throw. That's another thing. Or she doesn't jab effectively. And thirdly, which is the most obvious thing, and I, I told this to King Mo, I told this to countless fighters who call me, fighters in camps who call me regularly, if you can't punch somebody to the head, the simplest thing in the world to do is punch the body. People can't move their body. You don't have to be pitch perfect to land to the body. You just got to be in the right space and throw it. Especially for somebody who circles out like Alexa Graza was doing. She circles out, throw the body kick to the, to throw the body kick. She'll run right into it. Then she's right back in front of you. You can open up. If she steps to the, if she's not, if you're, you're too close to the body kick, when you step forward, when she tries to angle out, dip to the, dip to the right, rip a body shot again. In fact, if you're trying to get to the head, go body first. That, that freezes her, holds her in place. Then you go to the head, body, head, body, head. So even if you miss, you come right back down the body, freeze her again, have another chance to get to the head. At some point, you're, it helps you find a rhythm. It helps you land and helps you slow down your opponent. But nobody in Macy Corner, Macy Barber's camp has figured that out from day one, and they still have not figured it out. They bought into the idea that she's a great athlete to that narrative, and it got clearly exposed. She's been beaten up in mid-range before. She got beat up by a – oh, my God, I can't remember. But some girl dropped her and had a rock in the first round. J.J. Aldridge. J.J. Aldridge can't punch. And she dropped her and was beating her with an inch of her life for two and a half rounds. Rossi Modafari, she got hurt. But for that first round, before she got hurt, Modafari was Modafari, a notoriously unathletic and not particularly strong and dynamic fighter, had her rocked, taken down, and was beating her up with an inch of her life again. It's like they had these egregious holes in her her strat her technique and her awareness, and they did not address them at all. I've been screaming about this from the top of my lungs about Macy Barber for years. And it hasn't gotten any better. It's poor preparation or it's arrogance on her part for not taking on the, the adjustments necessary to get better. She doesn't have an identity as a fighter. And worse than yet, she doesn't re really have any dependable technique or strategy as a fighter. You can't be a fighter with no strategy and no technique. Like, that's not going to work. And this is why I said that if she would have fought Paige Van Zandt, there's a good chance Paige Van Zandt would have beat her with an inch of her life, too. I wish Paige Van Zandt would have fought that, would have fought her. The Macy Barber I saw last night doesn't beat any version of Paige Van Zandt. Not a one. Paige Van Zandt would have ran her over and drug her through drug her through the entire arena. She needs to take time off and work on her craft. That is her problem. She's a good enough athlete. She's big. She's strong. At this weight class, she's not a crushing fighter as far as her power. But if she knew how to set her power up or at least fight with some strategical intelligence and awareness, she could she could compete. But right now, she does not have the skills or the awareness to consistently win at this weight class. And there's too many girls who can match her physically or just so much better on the feet that they can punish her. So she has some work to be done. She can win some, lose some, but she's not going to start putting together consistent wins until she 
has a defined skill set and enough awareness to fight in a manner that puts her puts her in position to win. And she has not shown that in any of three of her fights, win or lose. Was there anything else from this um, this night that stood out to you when it comes to UFC 258? It was nice to see Kelvin, Kelvin Gastelum get on get a win. I don't know that it tells us anything about him as far as his his skill set being improved. I, I don't think it does. I think it, he's still a matter of he's a guy who's very durable, very physically strong, and a great athlete for the division. And uh, because of those tools, he can create scrambles. He can force a pace. He can get takedowns. He can reverse takedowns. I still don't know that he has a defined skill that's going to enable him to beat the elite guys at middleweight. In fact, he's pretty much lost to every elite guy at middleweight that he's, he's faced. So I, I think he'll still be able to beat second-tier guys, third-tier guys. He's going to consistently have trouble fighting the first-tier guys because he lacks a certain amount of subtlety in his skill set. He's not very defensively sound. And a lot of his offense success is based more on his ability to take a shot and his his ability to out athlete people, and um, I think that only takes you so far. So it was nice seeing him have a win because uh, he's he's a bit of a name. He'll probably get more opportunities, but I I don't have much faith in him becoming like a a champion at this stage because I think he's just got too many holes in his game right now. Well, one thing I wanted to talk about because it kind of popped up into my mind is Balu Muhammad and his win. I suddenly got the urge to see him fight Hasmat Chimeyov. That'd be a good that? fight. That'd be a good fight. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing that. I I I like to see fights that tell that will discover something new about a fighter or push a fighter forward. One of the two things that's got to happen. It's got to either help the fighter's development or it's got to help the fighter standing in the rankings. If one of those two things isn't happening, I, I'm just not interested in, in a fight at all. True. Good stuff there, sir. Uh, let's move on because I wanted to talk about some boxing action and I wanted to talk to you about Adrian Broner who seems to be dusting it off and trying to make a comeback. What are your thoughts about that man? Is is he completely done or is there an opportunity to see him kind of turn it around at, at some point and maybe he's only what, 31? How old is he? I think 31, maybe 32. Yeah, I think I think 31, that feels right. What are your thinks, thoughts about his uh, return? Like, Do you think that this is going to be something uh positive or with boxing like guys kind of if they go away for too long they kind of don't ever really come back what are your thoughts about that yeah he's well, 31 he turns 32 this year i feel like the time off probably helped him if he was getting in shape and taking care of his body the time off helped him the problem with him was when he had time off he was just partying and j- doing his rap career and drinking and i think not taking care of his body robbed him of some of his athleticism it robbed him of the ability to fight at a lighter weight where his physical tools were a deciding factor. At, at 135 and at junior welterweight 140, his power was enough that it fit his style. Because his style was really he would throw an efficient number of punches, but he hit so hard and he had advantages in his physical strength and durability that if he if he could land a good, let's say, 7 out of 15, 7 out of 20 shots, in a round, that would be enough to make a difference maker because he was a very big guy coming down in weight. So he could he could move guys, he could hold them in position, he could take their shots, and every shot he would he would throw would, would do the equivalent damage of two or three that they threw or land landed. As he moved up to welterweight, he didn't carry his power, so he's throwing a low efficiency of shots, and guys aren't getting hurt, but guys are throwing back at him and they're hurting him. So the lapses in defenses weren't as manageable at welterweight, and his and his physical strength wasn't is assertive of what's way so he couldn't bully guys he couldn't control them 
So to my knowledge, he's going back down a weight class. Goes back down a weight class, his power carries a lot more, his strength carries a lot more. He has certain advantages that can make his style of fighting advantageous for him. So as long as he can make the weight and he can stay at that weight class, I think it's viable that he wins another world title. I think it's good for him because he's a star. People, whether they like him or love him, check the Showtime ratings when he fights. It's you, you if he fights four times, his four fights are probably in the top or are in the top half of the ratings for those events, unless it's like a huge name star. He's he's a star. He's polarizing. He's interesting. People like to cheer for him. People like to see him lose. So he's always going to draw on a certain amount of fans. So him being back in boxing helps boxing. And if he can put together a win streak, he's guaranteed to get paydays because people like to see him win or they like to see him. The big mouth gets shut up. And plus now he has a he has a resurrection and a and a store where he's on a comeback trail. Technically, he has the skills if he fights at a lower weight class. And physically, he has the ability to win if he fights at that lower weight class. The question is, is he going to be disciplined enough to fight at that lower weight class and to be able to, do, to have the work rate and the conditioning to maximize the tools he has? If so, I fully expect him to contend for a title in his next probably three fights, two to three fights, because he's a name. And if not, then he's just going to be another guy who's in the lower fringe fringe areas of the welterweight division. He's going to be struggling to get wins and struggling to find his foothold. So is this a feel-good story or is this just he's broke trying to come back for more more money? What do you think it is? I think it's a combination of both. I think he really I think he I think he takes pride in himself as a fighter. I think from interviews I've seen, I think he takes pride in himself as a fighter. He considers himself a very talented fighter. At one point, he was considered the future boxing, and I think to a certain degree, he took that seriously. He just lacked the discipline to maximize his tool. It hasn't been a matter of talent. It hasn't been a matter of IQ. It's been a matter of professionalism and making weight, being consistent in your preparation and being consistent in your training so you're not getting into shape in a fight camp. You're not getting your mind right into a fight camp. You're fully prepared mentally and physically to go out and perform to maximum potential at every fight, and he hasn't. That hasn't been the case. Some fights he's won just off of talent. Some fights he's won because he, it's been a mismatch. But there's been fights he's lost that he didn't have to because he did not properly prepare himself because of all the shortcuts he's taken in in between fights. So I think it's a feel good story because you get to see an immensely talented guy who got not, who got humbled, and he got humbled many a time. And you get, and if he's really serious about this, you get to see a glimpse of what he could have been the whole time if he's really serious. It could also be a, um, a horror story or a very depressing story in the fact that even if he is serious, maybe he's done too much damage to his body. Maybe he's too far gone. And maybe some young guy or some unknown guy knocks him off the rails and he really suffers a setback. We don't really know. That's what makes it interesting. That was makes That's what creates the drama. That's what's going to draw people in to see if he can be better than he was or if he's going to be the loudmouth fraud that so many people predicted when he first came on onto the map, you know, before they couldn't say anything because he wasn't losing and he was racking up titles, but then he started losing. And for every, every win he had, there'd be some kind of circumstance. It'd be a low blow. It'd be, he didn't make weight. It'd be a split decision fight that could have went either way. Um, so, I mean, this is a great story for boxing media and for combat sports media and for fans. Cause one set of fans is going to get their way either way. And, and boxing media has a great story to cover. For uh, Adrian Broner, this is a very dangerous fight. No matter how much he believes himself, no matter how much he knows he's capable of, the fact of the matter is he has wasted some very important years in his career, 
And um, this is do or die for him. There, there probably won't be a second act if he can't perform in these next these next one or two fights. I can agree with you on that, sir. I think it'll be an interesting combination to see what his real motives are. And that'll kind of show us how serious he's taking it. Everyone, you know, you don't want to see... You don't want to see people suffering, I guess is the word they use. He um, was charged with sexual assault, I think, like three times. Uh, there was sexual assault, of- actual assault. Yeah, yeah there, was, there was a point where uh, people thought he was he was going to commit suicide because of what he was posting on social media. So he's he's you know he's gone through some dark shit. So um, the thing about it is, a lot of a lot of it's been self inflicted. Yeah, you get to you would get to with immense talent. You, because of your personality and how you approach things, you were a star on, show, on HBO. You became a star on Showtime. Maybe not a Floyd Mayweather type star, but a guy who brings in top ratings and get two to three million dollars no matter who he fights. Even when he was on losing streaks, people were calling him out because he draws eyes. You beat him, you get a lot of attention. They can they can uh, leapfrog you into bigger fights. Before he got before he before Mikey Garcia got his fight at Errol Spence, who did he fight before? Adrian Broner. Before Maidana got his shot at. Floyd Mayweather, who did he beat? Adrian Broner. You know, it's like, because he's such a name and he generates so much interest, there's a lot of opportunity for money and opportunity for big paydays and, and bigger fights if you can get past him. And, but a lot of his problems have been him being irresponsible as money, him being immature, him abusing alcohol, I don't know about drugs, and him just making some really bad decisions in the people he deals with and people he's around. And it's just a, yet another cautionary tale for any athlete or somebody who has a talent that that talent won't always save you. And if you don't make the most of it and then live, live a intelligent or responsible life outside of it, that talent's not going to save you. That money won't be there. I mean, he's probably made what, at least, probably at least 30, should have made 30, $40 million. And he's talking about he's broke. Like, and he's legitimately broke. I mean, how does that even happen? You're, you're right about that. And I want to move on to talk about a guy who Broner has fought. And Manny Pacquiao, because uh, there were there was a lot of speculation around a potential fight between him and Conor McGregor, but now that Conor was dispatched by Dustin Poirier, that's off the table. What do you think is next for Pac-Man? Does he fight for more titles? Does he go after money grab types of fights? What's next for him? Honestly, I, I do not know, because um, there's no big money fight on the horizon for him. Adrian Broner was probably the biggest name that he could get that he felt safe that he could beat. I mean, everybody else, Sean Porter is a tough fight because Sean's young. He's very physical. He's durable. He's athletic. So that's going to be an uphill battle. Um, he already beat Keith Thurman, so there's no interest in that fight right off the bat. Errol Spence is probably a bridge too far for him to fight as far as a guy who's a name guy who's at the peak. That's that's probably too risky a fight for him. Danny Garcia already lost to... Um, to Errol Spence. I really was hoping Danny Garcia would not fight Errol Spence. It would instead hold out for a fight with um with Manny Pacquiao. The only fight I see that's a viable, like actual legitimate challenge for him that would be interesting and and we could build a, a legitimate storyline behind it would be if you had him fight Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia has fought at welterweight, but he's actually a smaller welterweight. He lost to Errol Spence, but I think he's put one or two wins together since then. He didn't get stopped. And um you know, for the most part, Mike, Mikey Garcia has been uh, one of the better fighters in the lower weight classes, and he has a skill set that should be able to cause Manny some some problems because he's a he's more of a 
a counter puncher who kind of picks his spots and uses defense to get guys to overcommit and, and punishes them for that. But um, there's not a lot of big, big money options out there for him. He'd probably have better luck if he retired and he just got into a bunch of YouTube fights um, moving forward if he really wanted to make some easy money. But if he's going to be a professional prize fighter, um, there's just not a lot of viable big name money fights out there for that man right now. And I'm actually going to use that as a as a segue there too, because how long, how much more do you think we have of Manny Pacquiao? How much longer do you think he'll be around in the sport, and what will his legacy be when it's all said and done? It, I mean, he'll he'll probably be, you know, a top top five fighter. He moves through so many weight classes. If you look through his resume, he's got multiple Hall of Fame guys on his resume that he's beaten: Miguel Cotto, Eric Morales. Oh God, there's just some people I can't even think of them right now. But he's he just beat um, Margarito. There's just been a lot of Tim Timothy Bradley's guy. He's be he, he'll probably be a Hall of Fame type guy, and um, you know plus the fact that he's been in he, Juan Juan Mel, Juan Manuel Marquez, another top level guy that he's beaten. You know he's beaten a lot of guys who are considered Hall of Fame guys. He's beaten a guy a lot of guys who are former champions and current contenders. So he'll be considered one of the greatest fighters of all time. I don't know that he's in that echelon of Floyd, especially because of the way he lost to Floyd. I don't know if he's in that echelon um, to like a Sugar Ray Robinson, maybe even a, you know, but as far as his popularity and the impact he had on the game and how much money he made and how his fights were basically events that essentially, um, essentially uh, kept boxing afloat for a large period of time. I, I think he'll be considered one of the biggest names, one of the biggest stars, one of the biggest spokesmen for the sport. And probably one of the best fighters, you might even say, given given how far his career has gone, from the weight classes he's 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 dominated at, to the fact that he's at this age and he beat a legitimate, undisputed guy at welterweight, um, who was who was who was undefeated at the time. You, you might say he might be a guy who ranks in that top. You know, some people say top fifteen, some people say top ten. I doubt he would ever give, be top five type fighter, but a guy who uh, would be in that area as far as a fighter, maybe maybe top 10, top 15 type fighter of all time. I think that's about right. So I, I can I can agree with that. And you mentioned a Hall of Famer there. I want to talk about Leon Spinks because we didn't get the opportunity to talk about him and his passing. What is the legacy of Leon Spinks now that he has left us? Uh, he, I mean, he was a great fighter. He was a great talent. He was one of the, he was one of the more affable personalities in um in boxing a lot a lot of people just kind of were into his story and what he accomplished and how he went about his business as a fighter um you know he was very he was very accomplished at two weight classes he was an elite guy at both weight classes and but a lot of people are gonna i don't know it's kind of like one of those situations where you you wonder how much further he could have gone or or, or or what he really could have been as a fighter you know but you'll you'll never really know because he ne- he never really. It's like after a certain point, he just can he just kind of struggled, and you just he just never he never really reached that level of excellence again. You know, it wasn't like Muhammad Ali who had multiple careers, who had multiple careers as a fighter, where he fought and lost and retired and came back and lost and regained his title. It wasn't wasn't anything of that sort of dramatic movie type career. He was kind of he had his moment, and then once his moment was passed. That that was essentially it. He 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 
He wasn't much. He wasn't much past that point. Beating Muhammad Ali was the peak of his career, and he never really built on it. After that, he lost to Muhammad Ali, lost another fight. And from that point on, he was beating second and third tier guys. But every time he faced one of the better guys, the better athletes, he, he just started losing. So it's it's disappointing because you you have a guy who, for all intents and purposes, a gold medalist who, who had maybe all-time great talent who was never able to put it all together. And as a result, you know, you have one of the biggest upsets when he beat Muhammad Ali, but he was ever, no, he was really never able to compa- to build off it. Kind of like Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson, he never was able to build off it. Spinks beat Muhammad Ali, and he was never able to build off it. But he was one of the great personalities of the sport. He was probably one of the, the better amateurs, if not one of the great amateurs of the sport. And he had one of the biggest moments in boxing history. I mean, beating Muhammad Ali beating Muhammad Ali for a world title is one of those things that instantly puts you in a certain echelon of fighter because of who Muhammad Ali was and what he'd overcome. So he's always going to be remembered for that, but he was never truly a consistently dominant fighter. And he had the talent. He, he very well had the talent to do that. And he just, he was just never able to put it all together consistently. Yeah, I can agree with that. We all remember that. Uh, was it sports illustrated cover that he was on where he took out his fake teeth? In the front, he, he, he was always kind of known as more of a more of a friendly type of character, somebody that everybody can really love, and kind of like Quentin Rampage is for MMA today. And um, yeah, I think like that's what his legacy will be that and those big wins over um, over Ali. Uh, I wanted to segue for our last topic of the show and talk about this weekend's action at UFC Vegas. 19. This is another card that is not that good. I thankfully am off this weekend, so I don't have to work the fights, so I will be able to sit my butt down somewhere and relax. But the main event and co-main event has two important fights and two weight classes because there's a potential contender coming out of both of these bouts. Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis are fighting five-round heavyweight tilt here. Uh, Shawan, first question is, does this fight go five rounds, yes or no? Uh, I don't think it goes five rounds. Um, I, I don't think I don't think Harris's um, cardio holds up, or you know, I, neither one of them is cardio machines. So I see either one of them getting tired and getting stopped from an accumulation of damage. Um, of course, it's more likely that that uh, the Black Beast lands a knockout blow and, and, and finishes them in some Ali sequence 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 of actions. But neither one of them is a cardio machine, so. I can't see it going five rounds because Harris has to know the threat that Lewis, Lewis poses if he gets to his feet, even if there's 30 seconds left in the fight. And Lewis, even though he's able to navigate his lack of grappling skills, um, he's a guy who fights with urgency. So he generally he either knocks guys out or he something gets injured and he can't continue or he gets knocked out himself. So I, I don't really see this fight going five rounds, but, you know, yeah, I, I just don't see it going five rounds. If it does, it's, it's going to be a slog of a fight. It's going to be, it's going to just be a horrible fight that's probably going to do more harm to the to the winner's reputation than a loss. So then the next part of that question is, does the winner of this fight get a shot? Do you see a title title winner coming out of either one of of well out of out of this fight? We're talking about this one first. Uh, it just depends on how the fight goes. I mean, if Lewis gets a crushing knockout win. He has the demand. He can demand a title fight. I don't know that he gets it because I think Jones is supposed to be the guy who challenges the winner of Stipe Francis. 
But if he if he knocks him out, then he can demand it because guess what? I've already beaten Nganu, and I beat him not recently, recently, but fairly recently, and I beat him pretty clearly. So he has an argument to make that fight. Um, if Walt Harris beats him, I don't know what argument Walt Harris has because he's been beaten in less than a less than two rounds by Francis Ngannou on two different occasions. And both of them, he had huge win streaks. So I don't know that he has an argument. He probably had to win at least one more fight to, to even entertain the chance of getting a shot if Ngannou wins. And quite frankly, I don't think Stipe would want to fight want to fight him. He's, he's not a big draw. He's not an exciting fighter. Uh, at least Lewis has a bit of a cult following. You can generate some interest with him. It, it's, a hard, it's, it's a hard sale with Walt Harris. So if Lewis wins... We might have business either way with Nganu or um, Miocic. If Walt Harris wins, he's probably going to have to win at least one more fight. Against who, I don't know, but he'll probably have to win at least one more fight. True, true. And let's talk about this co-main event because we're in a similar situation here with Ketlin Vieira and Yana Kunitskaya where you have two women who are ranked six and seven at 135. I don't think, uh, I think the easiest answer out of this is that no, a title challenge is not coming out of this fight here, but it's still an important bout. What are your thoughts about this women's bantamweight uh, match? It could be, it potentially could be a title challenge because right now there's not a lot of viable names. I mean, I think whoever, whoever wins is going to be at least one more fight away from it. Like Juliana Pena, I would think she'd have to win at least one more fight to be, eligible for a title fight and whoever wins this fight i would think would have to win at least one more fight to be truly eligible to fight um to challenge the uh the world champion um because nobody's really made themselves stand out as far as as far as i go nobody's been so dominant or so consistent where they can demand a title fight but the good thing about that is in that division it's so thin and like i said before nobody has stood out or been so dominant that Everybody can make, if you can put one or two wins together, you can win two out of three. You can essentially um, make an argument for why you should get to at least be in the discussion for a title fight. Uh, Yana Kudaskayev, if I recall correctly, she's she should have won like, what, one, two in a row, I think? And Caitlin Vera had a win over Sajar Eubanks. I don't think a win over Sajar Eubanks is enough for anybody to start thinking that they deserve something. she probably have to win at least one more fight. And Kuniskayev, even though she's she's won two fights in a row, once again, she hasn't done it in a manner that's so dominant or her, her level of competition hasn't been of that that tells me, okay, Nunes needs to call her. Plus, neither one of these girls are named fighters. They're they're good fighters, but they're not named fighters. And I think I really think that Amanda Nunes is trying to make the biggest fights possible, to make the most money possible right now. And neither one of those girls gets her paid any more than fighting anybody else on the on the on the division. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Kuniskaev has won three of her last four. Which one of these ladies do you think have a, has a better opportunity against Amanda Nunez? Um, I would say Caitlin Vieira. Her boxing has gotten a little bit better. She's using a jab more. She's putting her shots together. It's not just a matter of her winging shots and crashing into the pocket to get takedowns. She's setting things up a little bit better. She's one of the better athletes. She's one of the more physically strong and durable and conditioned fighters. She finished Sarah McMahon quite decisively. And prior to her getting beat by Arena Aldana, she had been fairly dominant. I mean, she'd pretty much just been trucking girls, just physically dominating them, out positioning them, roughing them up on the feet to a degree and beating the hell out of them on the ground. So prior to that, prior to, to that loss to Aldana, she'd pretty much shown herself to be the class of the division. 
beating Ashley Evan Smith. I mean, she wasn't beating great opposition. Let's face it. Kat Zinganu, Sarah McMahon, Ashley Evan Smith, not great fighters, but she was showing that there was a huge separation between her and the rest of those fighters, something Kuniskayev hasn't done. So based off physicality, um, athleticism and conditioning, she has the physical tools to test Amanda Nunes. I don't know that she takes a shot well enough, and I don't know that she's defensively sound enough to navigate the spots necessary to get to make Nunes work at the pace necessary to exhaust her and to put her on the defensive. I, I haven't seen that level of crap from her. I haven't seen that level of uh, IQ or direction from her corner either. But based off the physical tools, and that's the most easiest thing to gauge, I would say Vera. Kuniskaya is not particularly physical as far as her strength. She doesn't take shots very well. And um, she's even though she's smart and has and done some slick things in the cage as far as takedowns and setting up strikes and getting the clinches, um, against the better athletes, there's been a big gap in how she's been able to maintain positions or be defensively responsible against Aspen Ladd. Aspen Ladd was losing to her, but then when Aspen Ladd decided she was going to be aggressive, she just basically walked through her. She got Cyborg down with a little a slick, slick angle pick, but from that point on, Cyborg just was basically ragdolling her and beating the hell out of her. Amanda Nunes is at least comparable to the athlete that Cyborg is and is probably a more explosive hitter. So if Cyborg can ragdoll her and have her way with her as far as positioning and finish her with strikes, I don't know that Amanda Nunes couldn't follow suit. True. Good stuff there, sir. Um, Tron, man, you had a lot to add to today's show, dude. Why don't you let us know what you're working on and where everybody can find your stuff? Uh, I did an article on camps. I sent it to Mike. That'll probably be out sometime next week or two weeks. I did an article on Black Lightning that uh, breaks down two of the fight scenes from two characters in there. Uh, actually, four characters from there, but uh, Gravedigger, played by Wayne Brady, versus Painkiller, Thunder versus Cyanide. And then I also just finished an article focusing on the characters who will be appearing in the Winter Sol- Falcon and Winter Soldier, breaking down a fi- the legendary fight scene between George St. Pierre's Batroc and Captain America and focusing on the Winter Soldier versus Agent Carter and the Black Widow. So I like knocked out three articles in about the last week and a half. Probably start knocking some more out. And uh, other than that, I'm just engaging people on Twitter who want to talk about camps or talk about fighters. I had a couple fighters who in camps who somehow got my number, which is weird because I changed it like twice, but they still got my number and were asking me about some potential matchups, who they should fight, who give me a scouting report on their fighter or a scouting report on an opponent. So once again, when people start questioning what I know about it and if I know anything and, you know, you've never fought, so you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I'm your favorite trainer. I'm your favorite trainer's favorite trainer. Like more people who have won championships in the UFC and Bellator Keep calling me for my opinion. I don't call them. I don't have their numbers. I don't want to talk to them. They want to talk to me. So when people start questioning the authenticity of my breakdown, my perspective, or why you let me ramble on, we can go, we can start going into the list of the camps and list of the fighters and list of the coaches who contacted me. And then we can just see what their response is at. Because every, every coach we've had on the show has complimented us on our attention to detail, our ability to break down fights, our ability to break down fighters. Every single coach and every, who's been on this show, Marcus Davis, Arlene Sanchez, um, Stephen Warman Wright, even Trevor Whitman. So all the people who everybody looks up to, they're such great coaches. They're such great game planners. Those guys came on our show and said, we know what we're talking about, and we break down fights better than other shows they've been on. So it's just there's a, there's a difference between what we're doing and what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is doing a great job, but there's, there's a difference in when we're giving an assessment 
And when other people are giving assessment, their stuff is just good. But if we're going to go by qualifications and what we've actually done in real time with real fighters and real camps, it's very slanted in our favor. And that's not bragging. It's just the truth. Hey, it's not bragging if if if, if you can back it up, my friend. Shawan, as always, sir, thank you, man. We'll be back here. Oh, wait, wait, Raphael, Raphael, one last thing. The Miley Cyrus thing. What was that guy thinking? Oh, what the fuck? I forgot all about this. So it's it's amazing how you can it's it's okay. There was a football player, I want to say it was Deshaun Jackson years ago, where he catches a pass from was Donovan McNabb's in the league at this time? He may have been, maybe, uh, maybe not. This might have been a little bit after college. And Deshaun is running down the um, sideline about to score, and he tries to do a cartwheel into the end zone right before and fumbles the ball. Literally, Sean, he fumbled on the one-yard line. That is what Julian Marquez did. He gets, he shouts out Miley Cyrus. She immediately responds. She didn't, it wasn't even like half an hour later. She immediately responded as if she was watching the show. And then this fool keeps going and fucks the whole thing up. I I don't I don't I don't get it. Like it this is a prime example of how stupid and ridiculous a lot of the men are in mixed martial arts because you can see how male fans talk to MMA, uh, female MMA fans and sportscasters and fighters, et cetera, et cetera. They have no idea how to treat women whatsoever or have no idea how to interact with them. This is yet it, another prime example. It's not, it's not yet because, you know, she's flirting with you about, you know, shaving this in your chest and she's yours. And I, I don't know if he has a girlfriend. Maybe that's why he didn't do it. That's fine. But they the thing about- but the thing about it, yeah, there you go. That's another problem. But the thing about it in this is he he fumbled the bag. Like, if you do this, you become a viral star in the UFC. Do you know how hard it is to get the get the attention of the UFC brass? You know how hard it is to get those attention? Imagine if she takes you to one award show or she goes to your camp to see you train. You can call your shot over who you're going to fight next, even though you haven't been fighting particularly well. It's hard to get a Q rating in MMA. Most MMA stars, most YouTube stars are more better are better known than the top 10 in any division in mixed martial arts. And here you call out a, one of the biggest stars in the world. She responds to you, and your response is to make it a man. Now, I mean, I guess maybe I could say he's got swag because he had the guts to do it. I'm just going to say he fumbled the bag and blew a huge opportunity to separate himself from the rest of the masses in his division and in the sport. That's a, what he messed up. I don't care about him dating Ryan Cyrus, but the fact you had a chance to increase your Q rating and have all eyes on you. This would have been a huge story in a positive nature. ESPN, um, Entertainment Tonight, whatever magazine you can think of, it would have been huge. And for some reason, he just decided, I don't know what he's thinking, but I know he cost himself a lot of money and I know he blew an opportunity to really Build to build his own brand and separate himself from other fighters because right now he's just another fighter who won another fight. If he would have played that right, he'd be the fighter who's going out on some Valentine's date last second with Miley Cyrus. And whether it works or whether it doesn't, most likely doesn't. The the, the boost to his visibility would have been worth anything. Yeah, I hear guys saying, "Oh, well, that would have been beta for him to shave it in his chest." Who cares, dude? This is a money business. This is a very short term living. Do what you can to get to the money. Do what you can to get to the money. 
It's MMA, dog. Like, we, it, mixed martial arts, people are just idiots. Like, the I'm men tell, in this sport are, are, are just idiots. I'm telling you this much. Dana White saw this coming. Dana White was thinking, thank God she responded. I know he's not going to mess this up for me. Thank God. And then he saw his response and he said, Jesus Christ. This guy has just cost us millions of views and millions of dollars because he's an idiot. I know Dana was killing himself. I know Dana was like, let me get out of this sport right now. Idiot. Let me get out of this sport right now. An idiot. So, yeah, let's go ahead and um, close out, Schwan. And thank you again for having uh, my back this week. We'll be here next week to talk more about mixed martial arts and everything going on in the space. I thank you all for another show another week of listening to the MMA Ratings Podcast, and we'll be back for episode 196 next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Have a great weekend.